Welcome to this continuing Holy Week podcast. I am Pastor Joe Cheerhart from Hillside Church in Tahlequah, Oklahoma. Last time we talked about Jesus entering the holy city, riding on a donkey, actually declaring himself to be the Messiah King of Israel, which of course we know wasn't received that well except for the crowd that was with him, cheering him, but not the religious leaders. But after Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem as the long-awaited Messiah, he spends days with his disciples and teaching all who want to listen to him. During this time, the Jewish religious leaders challenge his teachings and authority. They were always demanding signs from heaven. They try to trap him in his words and try to make him look bad in front of the crowds. With each attempt to stump him, he responds with wisdom and true knowledge of the scriptures. They decide, ultimately, that they must find an opportunity to get him alone, take him, and kill him. At this point, Jesus even warns his disciples that in two days he will be handed over to his enemies to be crucified. During this time while Jesus and his disciples were being hosted in the home of a man they called Simon the leper, whom scholars uh, surmise that he was probably a leper that Jesus healed and became a follower of Jesus, um, <clears throat> Jesus healed uh, as he was with Simon or in the home of Simon, A woman came up to Jesus carrying a jar of very expensive perfume. She took the jar, broke it, and poured all of its contents on Jesus' head. When the disciples saw this, they considered it wasteful. They couldn't see any good sense in someone doing such a thing. Now, it's not as though anointing someone with oil was totally unheard of. It was done at feasts at times, especially to special guests, but not usually with this expensive of an oil and not usually emptying the whole jar. This was an extravagant gesture. It was basically shocking and totally unexpected to the disciples. And the complaint was that it could have been used to help the poor. What is more important than helping the poor? And I'm sure the disciples, as they said that, were thinking Jesus would back them up in rebuking the woman for being so wasteful. But what does Jesus say? He says, don't bother her. She has done a beautiful thing. He says, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. Now, on its surface, that may sound like a self-centered statement. Of course, you are so hesitant to say that about Jesus. He wasn't at all self-centered. And you would probably not expect Jesus to make a statement like that. Because it sounds like he's saying, oh, don't worry about the poor. They'll always be around, but you won't always, always have me around. But Jesus, after all, who helped Who helped the poor more than Jesus? Who helped the disabled more than Jesus? Who sacrificed himself for others' needs more than Jesus? 
So why would he say it was good for Mary, and that's who it is, Mary, we find out in another gospel, Mary, the sister of Martha. Why would he say it was good for Mary to pour out all of her expensive perfume on him rather than use it to buy food for the poor? Well, here are the reasons. Mary's choice to pour out that whole jar of very expensive perfume on Jesus' body was an act of extreme devotion totally appropriate for that situation. You see, in pouring out that whole jar of perfume, which we find out in another gospel, it was nard, she was pouring out what could have been for her financial safety to provide for her in her later years. I mean, it was a very, very valuable thing for her. And this use of her expensive treasure to anoint the body of the Son of God revealed her deep love for Jesus and her recognition of who he truly was. You see, as the Son of God, Jesus is worthy of all glory and honor and devotion and sacrifice. And the fact that he was preparing to become the living sacrifice for the sins of the world made that anointing with that expensive perfume even more appropriate. Mary could not have given him more than what he was worth. It wouldn't be possible. But it was the best she had. And that is the same reason Jesus told Martha. You remember when Martha complained the time she was fixing a meal for Jesus and his disciples, she complained that Mary was not helping her. She was just sitting there at the feet of Jesus listening. And Jesus said to her, Martha, you are worried about too many things. Only one is necessary, and Mary has chosen the best. It won't be taken from her. But he wasn't saying that food was unimportant. He wasn't saying that it was unimportant to help someone preparing the meal. You know, we need food to live. It's good to help people that are preparing the meal. He was saying that taking advantage of being in the presence of the Son of God was a better choice than spending the whole time in the kitchen with Jesus sitting in your living room. You know, the Son of God was only going to be around for a short period of time, and they would always have time to to fix meals. And her act of pouring the oil was actually extremely important because it was the body of the Son of God which would be the sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. It was far from being a waste. Mary gave her very best for what was the greatest good, what was of most value. You could not find an oil that was too expensive or precious to pour on the body of the Lord Jesus, especially as an anointing on the one who would become the sacrifice for the sins of all mankind. Following this incident of Jesus' body being anointed, Matthew takes us to the upper room where Jesus would celebrate his final Passover meal before his death. 
It's interesting that no one except Jesus knew where they were going to observe the Passover. Because on the first day of the feast, his disciples asked him, Where should we go to prepare for the feast? He tells Peter and John to go to a certain person and say to him that the teacher is ready to celebrate the Passover. So they didn't even know until Jesus told them to go and talk to a certain person. Now, I believe that Jesus kept the location hidden because he knew Judas was looking for a time that he could betray Jesus to his enemies. And so in order for Jesus to have that uninterrupted time with his disciples, the last time he would be with them before he went to the cross, and all the things we read in the Bible that he said to them at that time, and to celebrate that Passover meal with them at that time, he kept the location quiet until they actually arrived at the place. That way Judas couldn't uh, tell the soldiers where to find him until, of course, he went to the garden. Now, the Passover meal was a yearly celebration commemorating when God freed the Israelites from Egyptian slavery, a harsh, demeaning slavery. The Israelites had been in Egypt for 400 years, and sometime during that 400 years, the Pharaoh be, uh, decided to make the uh, Israelites Egyptian slaves, slaves to the Egyptians. They were worried about the nation getting too big, the people of Israel getting too big and might... Uh, fight against them. So they oppressed them with harsh slavery in order to keep them down. And in order to free his people from Egypt, God brought plagues upon the land to convince Pharaoh he had to let his people go. And the final plague, which finally broke Pharaoh's back, so to speak, was when God took the life of the oldest son in every Egyptian household. God went through the land of Egypt, killing every firstborn son. But he had instructed the Israelites to put blood from a lamb on their doorposts. Any house without the blood of a lamb on the doorposts would lose their firstborn son. God passed over, that's where the name came from, every household that had the blood of the lamb On the doorpost. So every year the Israelites celebrated this deliverance from harsh slavery with a Passover meal. It was a special meal prepared in a special way with special elements. They were celebrating the night that God passed over every home that had the blood of the lamb on its doorpost. So they escaped death by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I'd like to read from Matthew chapter 26. This is that final Passover meal, but it has a few twists and turns. Listen to verses 19 through 25 of Matthew chapter 26. It says, So the disciples did as Jesus had directed them and prepared the Passover. 
When evening came, Jesus was reclining at the table with the twelve. And while they were eating, he said, Truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. They were very sad and began to say to him one after the other, Surely you don't mean me, Lord. Jesus replied, The one who has dipped his hand into the bowl with me will betray me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better for him if he had not been born. Then Judas, the one who would betray him, said, Surely you don't mean me, Rabbi. Jesus answered, You have said so. So Jesus is with his closest friends, the men he had poured his life into and has shared his life with. But at one point, he basically drops a bomb in their midst. Truly, I tell you, one of you will betray me. Wow. What a statement to make. Jesus' enemies were seeking to kill him, and his disciples were well aware of that. You know, they tried to get him not to go back to Jerusalem when he heard that uh, Lazarus had died. But the shocking news was that someone in the inner circle was going to betray him to them. How could that even be? And I've always wondered, oh, I wondered for a while, why did each apostle ask if it would be them? And my thinking was, wouldn't each one know if he was the one planning to betray Jesus? And that question used to baffle me until I realized, you know, it's very possible that the enemies of Jesus would somehow be able to get one of the apostles aside and offer some bribe or even perhaps make a severe threat against them or their family in order to get them to tell them some inside knowledge of how they could get Jesus away from the crowds. But Jesus drops this bomb into their laps. One of them would be the one to turn him in. Of course, that had to change the whole mood. But the second strange turn during this Passover meal was when Jesus picked up some bread, gave thanks to God, broke the bread, gave some to each disciple, and said, Here, have a piece of bread. No, that isn't it, is it? Okay, he said, here, take as much as you want. No, that wasn't it either. What did he say? He said, Take and eat. This is my body. And he tells them to take and eat of it. <clears throat> Do you think that got their attention? Then he took one of the cups used in the Passover meal, which they had four cups of wine and they they meant different things. Each cup meant had a certain significance. And he said, drink from it all of you. This is the blood of the covenant. My blood of the covenant. So, what's with this body and blood stuff? I thought it was bread and wine. Well, he's talking about his death. He's talking about offering up his body and shedding his blood 
so that all who come to him can be saved. And the covenant that he is making with his followers is through his shed blood and broken body. His sacrifice on the cross would pay for the sins of all who come to him. All who turn to him and receive forgiveness of sins because of his sacrifice. And anyone who comes to Christ for forgiveness of sins, we enter into a covenant with God through the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That was the payment to take care of sin. And every time we celebrate communion, we are reenacting this new covenant that Jesus instituted during that Passover meal. And the Bible says that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. And from this last Passover observance that Jesus will share with his disciples before he goes to the cross, he leads his disciples out to a place called Gethsemane, where Jesus often went to pray. And this is where he will pray to the Father as he waits for the soldiers to come and arrest him. And this is where we will stop today. I'm hoping to do one more devotional before Easter Sun, the Easter Sunday message. Take care. Keep your eyes on the Lord as we trust him through our certain circumstance, our specific circumstances at this time.